From the little cave on the tiny island of Podmos in the Aegean Sea, the heavens opened. Since then, the world has been fascinated by the cosmic upheaval brewing on the horizon of history. The upheaval is now upon us. It is within us. To some degree, it always has been. But there has been a sudden and violent shift in the affairs of the world. The winds have changed. Heaven will not be silent. Let's now join Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago, and author of A Mother's Plea, For the Winds Have Changed. Together we can pave the way for a hopeful response to the signs of our times. Welcome to Winds of Change on 7.50 a.m. I'm Loretta Fralick, a former criminal prosecutor with the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. I'm the other half of Mary and Loretta on Mondays. And today, March 1st, it is my privilege to fill in for Father Anthony, who is enjoying, I hope, some much-deserved time off. And uh, March is like, today's the first of March, so happy March, everyone. It is uh, the month of, if you're in Chicago, it's the month of St. Patrick's Day, but also the month of St. Joseph. And we will celebrate his feast day on the 19th. But as all of you will soon be aware, St. Patrick's Day celebrations are popping up all over Chicagoland. Um, And I remember an ad for a beer manufacturer ran a logo, It's Not Just a Day. It's a season. So as March begins, uh, enjoy the season. And there are some very strict rules for dates on the downtown Chicago parade, the Southside Irish parade. And on weekends, that traffic jam in your community can only mean your local parade is about to step off. So park your car and get out and enjoy. And today, uh, we are blessed to have uh, our guest, Joyce Deriga. Joyce, are you with us? I am. Well, Joyce is the editor of the Chicago Catholic, the official newspaper for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Since She's been the editor since 2007. She previously was the local, uh, well, she was the associate editor of our Sunday Visitor, and that is a national Catholic news weekly. Uh, Joyce is also the author of two books for our Sunday Visitor, People of God series, Helen Prejean, did I do it right? Yes. Thank you. Uh, the Death Rose Nun and Augustus Tolton, The Church is the True Liberator. So welcome to the program, Joyce. You getting all ready for St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, well, I'm still in Lent mode, yeah. I kind of forgot, and it's, I can't believe it's March already. I know, I know, and you're on an interesting uh, uh, quest as it's still Lent, uh, can you tell us uh, about your pepper and egg search? <laughs> yeah, we're going to a new place today. So last year, I love pepper and egg sandwiches. I didn't know what they were before coming to Chicago. And um, so 
during Lent, I'm, I love just to find good pepper and egg sandwiches. And a couple of years ago, I moved with my sister down to Northwest Indiana, and um, so now uh, there was a friend of ours through. We do dog sports um, with my sister and I with our dogs. When we, a friend of ours was talking about she'd never tried it, a pepper and egg sandwich, even though she grew up and lived for a long time in Blue Island. But um, she was told that like Portillo's had the best pepper and egg sandwich. So we somehow this organic quest came up that every Friday during Lent we would go to a different place to find who has the best pepper and egg sandwich. And so today we're going to the scrambled. It's called the Scrambled Diner in um, Dyer, Indiana, um, to try out theirs. But so far, Portillo's, at least down here, has the best. But as you and I were talking, like, I forgot Johnny's had and we, We've been there. And yes. up in Elmwood Park, plus the Italian ice, and then um, all those other. So I... I kind of want to expand it past just Fridays, you know? <laughs> wow. Even if you expand it past Fridays, I think you have a Lenten uh, paper article that you can write about the art of the pepper and egg there you sandwich. Go. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. And, you know, um, we're also talking um, a little bit little bit of St. Patrick's Day. It's Chicago. We dye our river green, so we, mm-hmm. we cannot back off uh you know, the fun stories about St. Patrick's Day and, uh, you know. And everybody's the, Irish in Chicago, right? Like, everyone. It doesn't matter all, where you're from. No, yeah. it doesn't. And you're all, uh, you know, everyone is Irish. And, you know, your parishes will be holding the competing corned beef and cabbage <laughs> dinner for St. Patrick's Day with the sweets table for St. Joseph's Day. So, you know, it's a good time for food. Hope you haven't uh-huh. given it up. Um, and hope your celebration has moved to the weekend. But I'm reminded of I'm reminded of a funny story, uh, you know, with all the parades and the traffic and the craziness of uh, Bishop Garcia Sia, who was freshly installed as a bishop on the South Side. And uh, Bishop Garcia was he's Hispanic and he is born in Mexico, and he comes to. Chicago and his very first day is the Saturday of the Southside Irish Parade. Oh my gosh! Yes, and he was telling everyone at the uh, at Holy Name Rectory, "Oh, I want to go see my parish. I want to go to start meet my people." And you know, he was all excited, and everyone's looking at him, going, "Father, you aren't going to get near the Southside today." <laughs> and I, for some reason, he did not believe him. And he so. He started driving, and then, you know, the roads are all blocked off, and traffic was a nightmare. So the man parked his car and walked the parade route Oh my for blocks, introducing himself as the new bishop. So um, happy St. Patrick's Day and St. Joseph's seasons to everyone, and, and March is a fun time in Chicago. So um, we're talking today— about you, Joyce, can you tell us something about yourself? I really am curious as to what led you to write those two books. Um, well, I was asked to do the first one mm-hmm. uh, they, because Sister Helen's um, archives are at DePaul University. So mm. she comes up regularly. Like she's going to be here in April for the Catholic Lawyers Guild, which you probably know. Um, and uh, she comes up. So they wanted someone locally to do it, and that was really fascinating because there's a lot of she. There are letters there that inmates had sent her. Like she, she wrote. As a lot of people know, Dead Man Walking, yes. and there are pictures and there are letters from the man who 
was ultimately executed in that story. So it's like you get a personal look at um, at what they are, you know, going through. You know what? One of the remarkable things to me was I'm going through these letters, and you know, like when I write letters or when I wrote letters, <laughs> like there would be it is a lost art, isn't yeah, it? Right? Yeah. Yes. Um, I'd be scratching stuff out. You know, you put in the <laughs> the whiteout and all that stuff, and nothing. Like these guys. It was perfect, but then someone, I don't know if someone pointed it out to me or that they were in confinement for like 20 or 22 hours of a 24-hour day. So they had all the time in the world to just write again, like if they messed up. And, oh, sure. Um, yeah, and the other thing that struck me, a lot of them would write, would make little cartoons or something, like little pictures for Sister Helen. So, But that's how I wrote the first, and I, I reached out there. She had come to... Um, St. Catherine, St. Lucie in um, Oak Park and spoke to kids. And then later on in the day, evening, she spoke to adults. And I approached her and said, hey, you know, I was asked to write this book. I hope that's okay with you. You know, the old goal is to reach the average person in the pew. And and she said, okay. So I had a few conversations with her um, over the phone, but that was good. So while that was going through the um, editing process, the cause for Father Tolton opened. Right. In 2010, yeah. Right. And um, I knew about, the, and the Pizzizio had been compiled, and I knew there was all this more information out there about Father Tolton. Wait, and, wait, wait. What's an anapizzizio? Okay, so a pizzizio is like a um, dissertation on the saint. Okay. They they have to kind of prove their um, faithfulness, you know, to the church, the, sure. the whole, not the holiness, that's kind no. of judgy, but you know what I mean? I like get that it. They were faith-filled. And, um, Who writes it, Joyce? There's a committee, so not a committee, but the, for the causes, there are um, guilds, like, or not guilds, but kind of committees. So one has to, to our his, historians, and one um, our canon lawyers and stuff, and then they do the different different parts of it. And then there's just like a, a general promotion guild. So, and they, there was, our former archivist was kind of the lead on the history and, and digging stuff up. And the previous book at the time that was written was written like 30 years before. And that's how I got introduced to him and was his sister. And okay, wait, we're going to back up. I need you to tell us who Augustine Tolton is. I know oh, I know because I've read your book, but I need you to tell me who is he? I apologize. Not your I'm folks. so enmeshed in and I feel like he's family. Like I, I forget. <laughs> I got to tell people that who he was. So Father Tolton was the first recognized African-American priest. He was ordained for the United States, and he was born into slavery. His mom um, escaped with the kids to, ended up in Quincy, Illinois, um, where obviously there was still persecution, but the war finally ended like two years later, and they were Catholic. A lot of the time, um, plantation owners would educate their slaves in the faith, and so um he was brought up. I mean, he didn't have a lot of former, long-time former schooling because he wasn't able to go to some of the schools because he was black. But also he had to work. Like, he was working in a tobacco factory where they were, like, making, rolling the, the cigarettes and stuff. And he worked um, sweeping up a bar, like, a lot of odd jobs and things like that. But some of the um, German and Irish priests down in Quincy took him under their wing. And they, they really saw his devotion. And mm-hmm. he would... They wouldn't let him assist at mass and things like that. So they started educating. And there's a Franciscan friars down there um, have Quincy College. 
and they're the same community that staffs St. Peter's in the Loop. And they, um, after he was given some school and graduated from high school, and then uh, they accepted him into the university and started teaching him things he would need for priesthood, like knowing Latin. Sure. You know, he had been learning German and and different things on, on theology and stuff. And they wrote to every seminary at the time. I think there were about a dozen in the United States, and no one would take them because they weren't ready for the quote-unquote Negro priest, you know, and that's right. in the letters. And, and this so, was also at a time when there were some very uh, uh, predominant priests who were, ex- you know, I hope this a term is not offending, but passing as white. And, yeah. yeah. And the I Healy's, mean, yeah. Yes, so. The Healy's were um, biracial. The mom was a plantation. She was a slave, but the and the plantation owner was the father. They, it sounds like from all intents and purposes, they had a happy partnership. They weren't allowed to be married, obviously, but, um, and so, but he ended up shipping them north because he knew they wouldn't have a chance. And one of them became president of Georgetown University. In fact, their main um, building is named after him. And one of wow. them, yeah, one of them became a bishop of Portland, um, uh, Massachusetts. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And the other one was up for um, being the first rector of the North American College in Rome, but they figured he was too darker skinned, and he, they thought that the students wouldn't listen to him. But he ended up becoming like the vicar general in the Diocese of Boston and had this huge funeral, but never at the time did they, you know, acknowledge. And I, I get it. It's, uh, you know, but... Um, I didn't know that was a thing until I, I wrote the book. Yeah. 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 It's not something we talk about. And, the, you know, just the horrific treatment right. of uh, Father Tolton. Just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like stunned. But please share more about Augustine Tolton. Yeah, so he um, ended up getting ordained and sent back to Quincy. Um, I find it really interesting in your book. He thought he was going to go to Africa, uh-huh. where the people looked like him, and instead they sent him to the south side of Chicago. Well, Quincy first, but then the, right. he ended up moving to the south side. You're right, but he right exactly. And here's the thing: like that was a deliberate decision, right? So mm-hmm. what was going on at the time was they were having these Baltimore councils, where I mean, we were on mission territory, right? The United under, States was still mission territory. Yeah, under the auspices of the propagation of the faith in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And the bishop who led that um, congregation was also head of the um, Urban College, which is where Tolton finally got admitted to, which they trained missionaries and stuff. So he knew who Father Tolton was. And there were only a couple of Americans. And he, because he was also trying to get the bishops to make a concerted effort to minister to black people in this country. I mean, they they mm-hmm. asked them several times. And some bishops were out like, you know what, I got this. You don't need to come into my diocese and tell me how to minister to these people. One bishop, I think he was from St. Louis, but don't call me, threatened to leave. Oh, my. You know, and they really couldn't. Finally, they got them. Um, they did a, they conceded and put together the Black and Indian Mission mm-hmm. um, collection, which we still have today. And wow. ironically, Bishop Healy was one of the three bishops appointed to uh, run that collection. Wow. 
Yeah, so... Well, Joyce, we're going to go into our first break. So when we come back, we'll let you finish your thought. But I want to hear more about Mama Tolton. I'm Loretta Freilich with our guest, Joyce DeRiga, on Winds of Change, AM 750. You can help save a life by praying for an end to abortion in your community. Find a 40 Days for Life vigil nearby. Visit 40daysforlife.com, 40daysforlife.com to help save a life. I'm Loretta Freilich, and you are listening to The Winds of Change. This Lent, may I suggest that you consider the fact that there is a person who is madly in love with you as an individual, so much so that he never stops thinking of you, desiring your good and yearning for you to visit him so that he can be consoled by you and so he can pour out gifts upon you more valuable than any treasure on earth. Yes, he is so deeply in love with you that he literally laid down his life for you in a very costly, bloody, painful manner. He is not indifferent as to whether you come to him. Only you can placate the thirst he experiences for you. This Lent, come to Jesus often in holy mass and adoration. How blessed you will be. I'm Jim Littleton, forming FaithfulFamilies.com. Welcome back. This is Loretta Freilich talking with Joyce DeRiga, and we are talking about uh, Augustine Tolton. Now, you were going to finish your thought on Augustine and then share about his mother. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Um, so... Long story long, the this these bishop was you know trying to, and the Vatican was trying to nudge the American bishops to do something. So when they failed to do something, this priest, like right on the eve of Tolton's ordination, says, "You know what? Um, and we there's you there's we have a letter, or like we have his, or the cause has his notes, and it says something to the effect. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You know, America is supposed to be such a." Um, progressive country. We'll see how progressive they are. They've never had a black priest. They're getting one now. And it was like, he knew he was going there to be essentially a, a sacrificial martyr, you know, because nobody else was in it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and key to his ministry was his mom. I mean, she, every parish, you know, the parishes he served at, she worked alongside him. You know, she was, they called her Mother Tolton. Mm-hmm. And so she was like the the matriarch of all his different communities, and although there's only two, but she, I would love to meet her. We don't have anything written. She wasn't literate, so there aren't any interviews or sure. anything with her, and or she was just also very, I guess, humble. Yes. So she didn't. One thing I found in a newspaper called um, the American Catholic Tribune, which was a black Catholic national newspaper at the time, um, she... Had she would she there was a young woman who wasn't Catholic who was living like with her aunt because her parents had passed and she started going to church with the Tolton's and wanted to become Catholic. Well, the the aunt then locks her in the bedroom upstairs and doesn't want her to get yeah communion baptized the whole nine yards. And now Mrs. is this a Tolton, Catholic thing or a black and white thing or what is it? Protestant Catholic thing. They didn't. Okay. There was like an anti-Catholic. Okay, it was a response to his Catholicism. Yeah, so Mama Tolton, like, 
goes to this woman and says, you know what, I'll take her in. She'll come live with us. You know, she deserves to get this and was really kind of forceful about it. And then it turns out this young woman ended up becoming a religious sister. So, oh. and, she, and she was white. I mean, she, she was, um, so she would be really, I thought she would be wonderful to talk to. She's actually buried down in Mount Olivet Seminary, Cemetery, which is down in Beverly. Okay. The edge and who is, who, who is she again? Martha Tolton. Martha Tolton. Okay. Yeah. So Martha Tolton is, uh, did she die before her son or after? No, she she was there. She died um, maybe like 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, ironically, we don't have the, the death certificate from a father Tolton because there was a fire. There's always a fire, but not the fire. <laughs> no, not the great yeah. fire. <laughs> or the great um, Chicago fire that was not done by Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Right. Thank you. That poor maligned cow, you know? <laughs> And poor Mrs. O'Leary. I don't know yeah. that she had any friends after that. But... <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, tell us how uh, Father Tolton died. There was a heat wave going on. Well, and, and backing up to this, he, everything, the notes that we have say that he burnt the candle at both ends. He was always trying to minister to his people. And when he came to Chicago, he was down in Bronzeville. And so that's, it was poor, there was no health care, people were sick, and mm-hmm. you can imagine he would be um, exposed to all this stuff. And I found something in a Chicago Catholic that he had to like, take a step away like two years before just to take a health break, wow. like for two, two months or something. So mm-hmm. we think he died of tuberculosis, but there was a heat wave at the time, and he had gone to Kankakee, and he took a train back, and right at 35th and Lakeshore is where... That there used to be a train station. Now there's the Meyer Center, which is one of the pastoral centers for the archdiocese. There's, there's also the Stephen Douglas um, Memorial down there. And, I mean, he literally died a couple blocks from where we have a pastoral center. Now. Mm-hmm. And he collapsed, and they took, well, he died at Mercy Hospital. They took him to Mercy Hospital nearby, mm-hmm. and he lasted about 24 hours, and then he passed. Oh. He's buried now in Quincy, Illinois, um, and he's venerable. Wow. Now, what does that mean to be a venerable? So there's different steps to sainthood. Um, there's servant of God, which means that they recognize that you had a holy life. And then um, they it goes to this next step where they go through an investigation in, um, at the Vatican, and they declare them. They accept them on a higher level, which becomes venerable. To become blessed, you need a miracle. To become a saint, you need two miracles. There's miracles being investigated, um, they're allegedly, uh, I say allegedly because I found this out through the news, Bishop Perry, very quiet. A lot of people that are involved in causes are very, because mm-hmm. they're, they're told to not say anything. The Vatican came to investigate one of the miracles about two years ago now. Okay. So they have to have like an independent medical team that investigates it. And I know there's some other ones that have come up that he wants to, he's been gathering information on. So, um. Yeah, so hopefully at least I'll be beatified in our lifetime. Probably. Praise God. Well, yeah. you know, I found your story in the Chicago Catholic, and we're going to talk more about the paper, but I found your story in the Chicago Catholic where um, that y- you went with the team that exhumed his body. Oh, that was super interesting. What made it super interesting? I mean, like, I don't know if I'll ever get another chance to cover a story like that. Like, <laughs> right. they, you know, it was very reverent. Everybody. <laughs> There's yeah, not well. a lot of saints roaming around Chicago right now <laughs> that we know yeah. about. 
Right. Um, so as part of the process, because um, they, they want to kind of secure the remains and make sure they're in good in good stead. Mm-hmm. I thought at the time that that was because they wanted to prove that it was there, but I've learned since from a CAM lawyer who's now and an archaeologist who's, who worked on the, that project that um, it's not true. It's all about securing the the remains and because for relics mm-hmm. in future years, which we can talk about separately if you want to. But um, so everybody has to take a vow at the beginning. All the workers they dig it up. They used infrared to find out where the bodies were. It turns mm-hmm. out he was down further than than he was, and then they um, took off a lot of the dirt. And then the day we got mm-hmm. there, they were they were. I mean, just like you see on TV with little brushes and chisels in there, <laughs> you know, the archaeologist, again, who's now our, our uh, chancellor, um, was, they had slowly uncovered it. I mean, then you see his skull and you see yes. his, they found his pectoral cross and mm-hmm. they found a smaller cross for the rosary and pieces of, um, like, his vestments. And sure. um, so they, then they bring up all the bones and then they, assembled the bones, like mm-hmm. back in the skeleton to verify that he was an African-American male, you know, about four years. And then they vested him again mm-hmm. with Bishop Perry found the up like investments from, sure. yeah. And then they wrap him back up, put him in the coffin and reburied him. It was just super irreverent, beautiful. Like when they were, when they really started to unearth his body, the Bishop from Springfield, Thomas Paprocki started the rosary, you oh. know, and, it was just, it was snowing, and we, you know, it, we were under this white tent. There was just, um, just to see that, I wish I would have taken some dirt, but um, just mm-hmm. to see, like, you were in six feet of Father Tolton, right? Like, mm-hmm. and um, it was just super, super neat. Well, you know what I find so lovely, Joyce, is that they redressed his body in beautiful vestments, and I, mm-hmm. I really just think that's an amazing sign of our church about how how much the church reverences our body, this body of ours. So, you know, we are those temples of the Holy Spirit. We are going home to God, and the church acknowledges all of that in a simple action of dressing the exhumed remains of Father Tolton in you know, beautiful vestments. And your paper did a great story. And I can tell you that uh, that when you came to my confirmation class with the story of, you know, how a saint is created and used this portion of Father Tolton's life, the, the, kid, the boys were mesmerized by the pictures. Not <laughs> the girls fun. so much, but yes, it was fun. Oh, they couldn't wait to get the pictures. So it was a lot of fun. You know, I think that's key to, you know, we've talked about this, but sure. key to catechesis with children is don't don't shy away from the. I mean, I would think that the saints are the best or some of the best catechists that you can, or subjects for catechism, you know? yes. Who lived, and you know, and yep. and they provide us like firsthand information about a life in Christ. You know, yes. only a true light, a true love for God and His people, would cause a man who has tuberculosis to be walking home from the train in a heat wave. <laughs> right. You know, that's just not something one would normally do, and you know, I. I 
I'm just saddened that his love for God's people was not acknowledged with a ride home in a buggy. You know, I mean, yeah, it yeah. really, really becomes just amazing. But you have done just an excellent job in those books. Do you have any more coming up? You know, everybody keeps saying that. Um, well, I, got I know, but you do such a nice job, and you make it so simple. I mean, I don't have to come to um, a theological understanding of any great precept. I can just read about the life of a saint or a life of someone living the gospel in a very simple way, and it, it makes it easy. Thank you, because that's the goal. Like, you can read the books. Anybody who's listening might be interested. You can read the books in a day. They're not no, not any heavy theological tome or anything like that. Because mm-hmm. I kind of separated them out like stories, you know? Right, so. right. What's your favorite part about both of those individuals? Well, Father Tolton, I think, was that he kept the faith in, in the midst of adversity. Mm-hmm. You know, he was run out of Quincy by the priest. Yes. And, you know, he, he like Bishop Perry is a postulator, that, the head of the cause for Father Tolton. He's a, a retired auxiliary bishop from Chicago. Um, that man, like, lives and breathes Father Tolton. And he, he talked about how he could have walked away from the priesthood. He could have yes. walked away from the church. Yes. Cause he, and he didn't. And then... With Sister Helen, it was, it's just a phrase she said, and I'll botch it, so to paraphrase, but mm-hmm. she says often that why it matters to minister to people on death row is that, or even in prison, that no one, everyone is worth more than the worst thing they ever did. Like, we're still children of God, even if we did X, Y, Z. Right. And so because of that, we deserve humanity. And, like, these botched executions recently, like, that's not fair. You know, right. I was talking to a deacon friend who, you know, who's a, used to be a judge. And he's like, he's like, to me, that's like double jeopardy. You got one chance. You can't, <laughs> you, you can't do it up. You can't do it again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, the part that I am so, as I, I've told you this before, because I am so impressed with Bishop Perry and his yeah. kindness. You know, he came to visit a priest friend of mine while I was there. And this priest was pretty sick, but I stepped out of the room and just asked if I could talk to him when he was done visiting. And he said, sure. And I could barely get the words out. Um, but a, a friend of mine uh, was in custody for murder. And I could not go and visit this friend because I was... Um, obviously, a prosecutor, and this was not something I was allowed to do, okay? So by the canons of the ethics of being an attorney. So I was almost in tears as I said to this bishop, you know, and bishop, no one has been to visit him. And I was looking to see if he could get— Sorry, we're backing up. Go ahead. Okay. I was looking to see if he could get— um, somebody from Colbay House, which, as uh, you know, is the prison ministry that's right down near the jail for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, that's all I wanted him to do. And this very gentle bishop asked me, may I go and see him? Oh, oh my gosh, I was blown away. If I wasn't ugly crying by then in the conversation... <laughs> 
I needed a box of tissues. He gave me his card, and he went to visit this young man. And uh, I, I can't say enough good things about him. I, I just can't. To me, that was, you know, he's a bishop. It must have been like Holy Week or something. It was a busy time in the church season, and he's giving me his private number so I can get him this man's location and his inmate number so he could go and visit him. So He that, is truly amazing. If anybody's listening or gets a chance to hear him speak, I mean, he's such an elegant speaker. Like, you mm-hmm. just want to—he makes— not for the best audio interviews because he speaks in paragraphs mm-hmm. and you need it. And he speaks very methodically, but he yes. is, he is wonderful. He's a wonderful speaker, wonderful preacher. And you just, something about him. He just puts you to like ease. Perfect you know? ease. Well, Joyce, when we come back, we're going to delve into the paper this week and there's some fun things in there and some serious Lenten things. I'm Loretta Freilich talking with Joyce DeRiga on Winds of Change. How long has it been since you have been to church? Busy schedule, work, or just lost interest? To be Catholic is not just merely attending Mass as just another weekend activity to be checked off the to-do list. Participation in the sacred liturgy gives you the opportunity to be intimately connected to Christ through the Holy Eucharist. You can also cleanse yourself of sin through the Sacrament of Reconciliation as a baptized Catholic. Come before the iconic monstrance to be in Christ's presence in the sacred silence of the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy. St. Stanislaus Koska Church is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. St. Stan's is just off the Kennedy, two blocks north of Division on Noble. Come back to Christ through the sacred liturgy and his gift of the sacraments at St. Stan's. We are the students of St. Stan's Koska Academy. Your children can join them for face-to-face classroom instruction. Visit ststandschicago.org to find out how. And you're listening to the Winds of Change. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy. St. Stan's is an exceptional private elementary school in Chicago, serving preschool, age three and four, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, and first grades. We incorporate Catholic values and rigorous academic social-emotional learning, Chinese, Spanish, STEM, and more providing our students with leadership and life skills to transform our world. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy is conveniently located one block north of Division on Noble, just off the Kennedy Expressway. To schedule your tour, visit ststandschicago.org, ststandschicago.org. I'm Loretta Freilich. Welcome back. We're talking to Joyce Deriga, the editor of the Chicago Catholic, the newspaper for the Archdiocese of Chicago. And Joyce, in just looking at your cover, it's absolutely brilliant. You've got an article about the Korean Catholics. You got an article about a saint from Ireland, which you know will draw a lot of readers. And you've got a local parish running a bowling alley and a wonderful picture of a priest igniting the former pomps to turn them into ashes. So before we dwell, you know, delve into all these stories, because there's also a really good one about a guy by the name of Mark Nemo in there. But before we delve into those stories, tell me, how do you pick your stories? You know, I went to school for journalism at Penn State. I've been doing this, you know, during school, since school, at least 20, junior high, um, 
So you have an extensive background in journalism. Yes, instinctual, right? Like you look for something that you would want to read or people in the pew that would want to read. Like, so Mark, who's a friend of yours, and you're interviewed in the story, he's, um, for folks, he's probably been on the show, but for folks who don't know, he's the um, He has been on the show. Okay. So he he does... um, religious education, adults, and stuff like that, as mm-hmm. St. Moses is black. Right. But He's the he director does, of evangelization there. Thank you. And But he does so much more, as you know. Oh, he travels my the world. gosh. Yes, he yeah. does. He was recently in Dubai. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? But they have a yeah. huge Catholic charismatic community there. They obviously love Mark, so if nobody's ever been there to Dubai, you can see what they love in Dubai. It's Mark Nemo at his next event. But I digress. He's from Ghana. He's served all over the world. And uh, I, uh, but anyway, you go ahead. Well, you're the reason why oh, I, I met him. And then you told me his story. I know you like to pitch me stories. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I um, am Joyce's cross. I love to pitch her stories. <laughs> and I even like tell her the timeline of it and who she should talk yeah. to. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, yeah. But this one was, I mean, not that they're bad ideas, but this one was a good, uh, I mean, I thought it would be so, and I had on my, on my list for like two years and I reached out to him at one point and he was busy and then right. I got busy and then I finally just said, let's you know, let's do it and ask Michelle Martin to do it. And, and it, I mean, some of it like too, just works out because Karen had our photo editor, Karen Calloway had been at a prayer for Christian unity event where he led the music like the week before. Right. So now we had a picture of Mark Nemo. We didn't have to go back out again to get one. So, uh-huh. um, that, that worked. I mean, so he's just a compelling Catholic and very on fire for his faith at once. And that was the headline. And he wants everybody to be on fire for, for their faith. But I mean, the bowling, I mean, we did that story like, probably 14 years ago, but it was a photo essay. And Karen and I were just t- talking, and I said, you know, we should do the bowling alleys again. Because there's one, um, they were huge at the time. Like, a lot of parishes had them. Oh, really? Not just Catholic. Yeah. And they, um, back in the 50s and 60s, and bowling was a big deal. And that bowling alley is at Immaculate Conception School on Talcott Avenue, northwest side, still Chicago, by Resurrection College Prep Girls School. Um, if that rings a bell for anybody, but... So it used to be a, the Passionists had a seminary and monastery there. And so the, they built the bowling alley in the basement of the school. So it's like exercise and entertainment for the seminarians and the priests. So when they, were, they moved on, um, you know, the school assumed that the Holy Name Society, Men's Holy Name Society has been operating for years, um, about 50 years have been using, operating the league. It's 100 mm-hmm. years old, and it is wow. the oldest bowling alley in the city of Chicago, um, they got that distinction uh, during the pandemic when South Port Lanes closed down. But I mean, it is so fun. You can rent it. Anybody can rent it. It's like 200 300 bucks to rent. Wow. You rent for three hours because that's how long machines last for. They're mechanical machines, and they overheat after three hours. Wow. Um, yeah, but the pin setters, you have all, they, they have kids that they pay them to set the pins like they... the when the balls come down, they grab the balls, put them on the manual, um, whatever that thing is that calls that sends them back, and then right. they pick up the pins, put them in the machines, and hit a button. The, the pins flip over, reset, go down the floor. And <laughs> I mean, it's like, it is so cool. And they've picked up stuff from all around. These 
these bowling alleys have closed around the city. And mm-hmm. they have an antique bronze um, ball return thing, and it's just a cool thing, you know. Wow. Oh, well, so this issue I want to tell yeah, you. Yes. Do you mind? No, I'd love to hear. Um, is the blessed the issue that's coming out this weekend? Blessed um, Sacrament Youth Center in North Lawndale. Oh wow! Um, yes. Yeah. Talk about fire. They are um, three years ago. They they pulled together all of the people who work with youth in the area parishes, Pilsen Little Village, back of the yard, North Lawndale to see how they could be a resource to support youth ministry in the parishes. And they found out most of them didn't have it because they didn't have the resources to do it or the knowledge. So they formed this three-tier system where they start with offering the parishes confirmation. It's all a way to get the kids on fire for their faith during that gap between confirmation and, um, like, high school graduation where they kind of leave and don't come back for a while. Right. If, if ever. And so they start with these confirmation retreats that are very charismatic, well done, professional lighting, music, good music, 300 kids at like each one. And then they move on to Fired Up Friday, which is what we covered in this issue, where um, it's like a charismatic event for these kids on a Friday night. They, they bring them in. They do some dancing and introductions downstairs. So let me back up. Blessed Sacrament Youth Center was a Catholic church that closed in yes. 2005. They've turned it into the top main level of the church is now a basketball, a regulation basketball court with the rosette window still there. And um, so that's what they use for some of these worship things. So that was on, they did adoration. Most of the kids stayed, 300 kids, most of them stayed on their knees the whole time during adoration, even though the MC told them that they could, you know, it was completely acceptable to sit or stand. But he Mm -hmm. said, if you want to offer up something more to the Lord, you know, you can stay on your knee. I mean, it was just incredible, really just trying to engage these kids in their faith. And then the third tier is this peer-to-peer ministry where they're teaching these high schoolers who've gone through these programs to become evangelizers for their faith among their peers. Crazy wow. Cool. Wow. And now, is it this Friday night or every it Friday? Night? Every It's every third Friday. Well, it's third Friday in March and April. They're just rolling it out three times in the spring and three times in the fall this year. Okay. They hope to to get it going like once a month next year, every month. Wow. Um, and how did you hear about this, Joyce? Random. Okay. Wow. So Karen was out. I'd known about the youth center, but I didn't realize they yeah. had kind of an unrevived purpose. But Karen yes. Calloway was out on um, in Pilsen on, no, Little Village on Ash Wednesday. They were doing ashes and confessions in a park. And she ran into one of our friends, Tom Howard, who used to work at the Archdiocese, who's also a big fan of Father Colton, mm-hmm. and she's like, what are you doing now? And he's like, you got this cool youth event, we're doing it tomorrow night, 300 kids, plus the sacrament, blah, blah, blah. And she tells me, so I called Tom that day, and then Tom tells me, I'm like, holy crap, we'll be there. You know, like, it's just right. like 300 kids and getting them all together, and yeah. Wow, that's exciting. So it's this, no, it's going to be the third Friday, so we've got third. two more. Two more Fridays, okay, yeah. Two more Fridays. Wow, that's so exciting, Joyce, and I again, another reason to read the Chicago Catholic. Open yourself up to new adventures, and new is always good with kids. <laughs> they yeah, they yeah. love to jump into the new. But um, I was wondering how else you choose your stories. How did the Korean Catholics get into your attention? I had been wanting to do 
something. I love the our ethnic communities. Mm-hmm. And we had never done, I've been here 16 years, we had never done something on the Korean Catholic Center. And, wow. Yeah, and through a series of events, um, people who do our social media ran across an advertisement that they were doing. They do this every year, but for New Year's, they were doing this special service to the ancestors. And um, mm-hmm. so we were all trying. I was going through people I knew to see, reach out to the parish, wasn't getting any word back. And then finally someone was able to reach the priest who serves there. He's Korean. And mm-hmm. um, so we um, just got connected and were able to go. And, you know, we love Lunar New Year events and the Korean side was um, a little bit different than we covered the Chinese Catholic in sure. Chinatown. But um, that was super neat. And I learned a lot because with even with our faith, I mean, there's traditions of what we do and why we do it. And, you know, they do a, um, these series of bows and certain, if you do it three times, then a half bow, that means that's like the highest bow you can give somebody in just like the tradition of food, you know, and sure. how that works play into every culture. And and this is, like, Lunar New Year is not even the biggest thing. Apparently Thanksgiving, Korean Thanksgiving is, and it changes each year on when it occurs, but that's supposed to be a huge, but they still do these masses and the same kind of traditional celebrations in the masses. Um, so, Wow, yeah. Joyce, that is so amazing, and I really suggest that all of us, um, sometimes we're blessed in our parishes. My subscription comes to my home, but I can tell you in our parishes, at least at my parish at St. Luke, St. Bernardin, our parish has purchased extra copies that they make available to the parishioners. So pick up a copy of Chicago Catholic this week to see the stories about the bowling alley and the Korean Catholics and read about Mark Nemo. And when yeah. we come back, I'm going to ask you, Joyce, what would your recommendation be to someone who wants to get into journalism and particularly as brilliant as you have lived your life, Catholic journalism? I'm Loretta Freilich with Joyce DeRiga, and we are on Winds of Change, AM 750. Sometimes it's tough to hear winds of change over the air. What with tall buildings, power lines, and other static. Now, you can hear Winds of Change anywhere, anytime, or on any device. When Winds of Change is on the air, live, Monday through Friday, noon to 1, go to ststandschurch.org. Scroll down to the Winds of Change tile and click on the Listen Live button. For Winds of Change podcasts, click on Listen to Episodes or visit the Winds of Change Facebook page. I'm Loretta Freilich, and you are listening to The Winds of Change. St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy, is open 24 hours a day, seven days per week, for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in the iconic monstrance. The Blessed Sacrament is reposed during the celebration of Mass and during special events. St. Stan's doors are always open for adoration. Come anytime, day or night. St. Stan's is located two blocks north of Division on Noble, right off the Kennedy. Visit ststanschurch.org. Welcome back. We're with Joyce DeRiga on 7.50 a.m. Winds of Change. Joyce, what would your recommendation be? I mean, how did you get into into journalism and then Catholic journalism? Well, so I got junior high, um, 
we called it junior high back then. Um, <laughs> I think we still do. Don't worry, Joyce. Yeah, the uh, the or middle were, school. I don't know yeah, right. Going. Middle school. I'm yeah, sorry, you're whatever. right. Yeah, um, they were advertising um, positions for the eighth grade editors at the newspaper, and like I wanted to get out of study all, so like I went <laughs> and and like that's it. I mean, then I got I got into the paper in the high school level and um, journalism. I, I feel blessed because I always knew what I wanted to do. It mm-hmm. was it pretty much was all besides reading books is what I'm like good at you know i'm not good at math i'm not good at you know but um and then when i went into secular journalism i had a i left the church for a a while in college and then i when i came back i wanted to use my gifts for god which i felt like were more directly related so i started working in catholic nonprofits. i was from pittsburgh so i worked at catholic charities in the diocese there and then Mm -hmm. got the job at our sunday visitor and then got this job um uh so you know it's you get to tell the good news, and I'm born on the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, which the responsorial psalm for the day is always go out to all the world and tell the good news. So I feel like that's apt. So what would you recommend uh, to somebody who's out there listening and thinks, hmm, maybe I want to be a Catholic journalist? I mean, you could start, I would go, I would recommend the way I went was through journalism school, but um you got to be okay. able to, obviously, you got to be able to write. But a lot of times today, you need to be able to write, but you also, younger people are getting more of the multimedia training, which is which is good, um, and which dioceses need uh, with video, audio, um, print, you know, photos. Um, but I would go that that route. And the, the benefit of folks, younger folks who might be starting out is, they're going to get the training that the archdiocese need the most, which is stuff for video and and um, but you're, at the end of the day, it's amazing how many people don't know how to write. But you know, <laughs> everybody thinks they can write, just like everybody thinks they can take good photos on the cell phone camera. Well, speaking of taking good photos, you at the paper have the amazing Karen Calloway, who is an outstanding artist with her photography. Amen. She really is talented and. The pay, the her pictures add so much to the paper, and yes. I almost said art paper, but picture <laughs> <laughs> paper too. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Just from the amount of times I called to tell you, oh Joyce, this would make such a good story. <laughs> tell me what's your favorite topic or your favorite story that you've done. Uh, back in the secular days, I interviewed Mister Rogers. Which was that's right. Yeah. Oh wow! Tell us about that. So, um, his um, the paper I was working at was a local um, newspaper, and his pianist happened to be from my coverage area, and he passed, but he was like a a trained jazz pianist who would just like play, um, improvise for every for Mister Rogers. So, and I always loved Mister Rogers, and. so I reached out to the, I was a news reporter, so I reached out to Features and said, you know, he's starting a new season, what do you think? And so I got to go interview him um, and and watch a show. I'm like, he's no cue cards, no nothing. He was just like, ability to like. He just what? Yeah. I, I, you, he you had dropped. that ability. I'm sorry, can you hear me? I can. No, I can, yes. Okay. He had that ability, um, the doctor. Okay, you're dropping. 
All right, let's let's do that one one last time because you are dropping out. So maybe wherever you are, stand still. Okay. The uh, he had the ability to like see people's souls, you know, oh, wow. and just really um, reduce it's a fitter. And so, what kind of story did you do on him? A feature. Um, I think I lost you, Loretta. What? Yeah, no, you're still there. Okay. Um, what kind of story did you do on him? It was talking about how the new season was starting and also his relationship with this penis and um, what what that meant to him and um, his journey. So uh, it was just fun. And a little bit about his background, obviously, you throw that in because he was a minister and all that. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I And I've seen the movie, so maybe I should have, but... <laughs> I didn't see the movie. I refused to see the movie. I have an absolutely... Um, what absurd love of Mr. Rogers. And I don't care how good Tom Hanks is, I can't bring myself to watch it. What was the best thing about Mr. Rogers that you discovered in your interview? Just that he was really who he was, like on TV. Like, you know, you think maybe that's an affectation or something like that, but I mean, he was Mr. Rogers on and off camera, you know? Well, that's exciting. So he changed into a sweater for your interview, or was he already in it? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is amazing that you were able to interview him. But the thing you took away from the interview is that he was truly who he said he was. Yeah. Where can we read that interview, Joyce? Now, there's a storyline for a book. Where can we read that interview? You know, gosh, I don't even know if it's available anymore because that was way back. Sure. I'll have to look because now I'm curious. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that means you'll figure it out and let me know. <laughs> well, what's the best thing about being the editor of a paper? I mean, just that, you know, we get to meet all these incredible people who, like Mark Nemo, who yes. are living out their faith. And um, the best the best way that they can do it and authentically and just sure. share that joy, that love, their love of Jesus and the Eucharist and the saints and and I think that inspires, and you know, we hope that it inspires others, you know. Well, it sure has um, inspired me. It's pretty amazing. And what inspires me so much is the variety that's here. There's something for a lot of people. Maybe not everyone, but yeah. there is something because you cover, you know, the Pope, you cover the Cardinal, you cover the different ethnic communities, individuals, and and you also cover the seasons. There's a beautiful article about meditating on Jesus' 40 days in the desert can enrich Lent. And you're very, very topical because I was very impressed with the author who wrote a book um, about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and you about adoration and um yeah, he's one of our priests. He's over at the um, University of Illinois at Chicago Newman Center. Mm-hmm. What's a Newman Center? The Newman Center? Mm-hmm. The, um, the, for the, it's like a Catholic chaplaincy for people um, on the university campus. But anybody can go there for Mass. They have daily Mass, and okay. they have a coffee house. And um, Is it also, butter- can Catholics live uh, at the Newman Center if there's space available? No, some do. Some, I mean, some 
campuses do, but no, I, UIC, um, it's just a, um, offices, a chapel okay, and the study space. Yeah. Cause like they can live at the Newman center at like the university of Illinois. Champaign or yes. Yes. That's, they build a whole dorm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, I think that's wonderful. It lets Catholics live out their faith on campus in a very secular location while at the same time having the opportunity to evangelize the university. I think that's a great idea. I agree. So what's next for the Chicago Catholic in addition to this fabulous article about young people and evangelization at Blessed Sacrament? We have a fish fry. Ooh, where's the fish fry? It's in Homewood. Um, we love to cover fish fries. And what do you love about covering fish fries? You know, it's just like a slice of parish life, right? <laughs> like, you know. Um, I know. I made the tuna fish this morning before I went out because uh, there's something that just doesn't work right uh, in the morning, early morning when you're making the tuna fish. But and you know, yeah. But I made the tuna fish this morning, so we're all set for dinner tonight at our house. But what is it about? It's a it's a little piece of a parish. Yeah, it's just fun parish life, and you get. Um, we like the ones that are weekly, where they actually make their own um, fish. Okay. Uh, some, some churches catered, and that's not as fun. But um, you know, you get all the different groups involved. This one in Homewood is run by this um, uh, student um, athletic association. So they used to have a school there. It closed. Like ten years ago, and the um, parents involved thought, you know what, we want to keep this going and be able to provide. They, they provide volleyball um, teams and basketball teams for, <clears throat> excuse me, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders so who compete among like the local Catholic schools that are still open. So the fish fry is a fundraiser for that, and then, but also they, the fish fry, the, the association. Um, purchased an industrial kitchen that they use some of the proceeds to purchase this kitchen, which is a, um, a, a tool that brings people together, right? Like sure. for pancake breakfast or sure. whoever wants to do whatever. And just as a unique way to unite the parish. And then the parish merged as part of renew my church. So, right. Well, Joyce, you know that music means the end of our time together. Thank you so much for being with us. You're just amazing. And I want to invite all of you to join us Monday when Mary and I will be talking to Francis Mayer about his book, True Confessions, Voices of Faith from a Life in the Church. God bless you all. Thank you again, Joyce. What's there to say when the world makes no sense? Do we search deeper truths or sit on the fence? Can you see? Can you see? Can you see? The winds have changed. We marvel and flatter such meaningless thoughts. The shell appears strong, but the inside is right. It's time to be stirred. The time is now. The winds have changed. Read the signs. No time to hide the wind.